And here we are, February 6th, and hooray, what a day. Our governor in Iowa has officially deemed the pandemic uh, in decline, if not over, just days after the UK variant was confirmed in Iowa. Cue the music. I'm Josh Cook, and you're listening to The Daily Dome from Potluck Media. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Um, (laughs) uh, What a tail end of the week, and especially Friday night it was. Um, On today's episode, we're just going to quickly catch up on our Friday midnight news, um, which is apparently a thing. Uh, And then we will talk with Democratic Minority Whip Jennifer Confirst about the GOP's education and safety agendas so far uh, early on in this legislative session. Um, So... (laughs) In case you don't stay up late on Friday nights, and, and by late I don't mean 8 or 9 or even 10 p.m., um, but in case you don't stay up excessively late on Friday nights, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds released a, quote, public health disaster proclamation, um, close quote, which is a, a more apt name than I think she knows, um, which will basically undo all of the non-existent COVID rules that we didn't already have in place. Um, So where people were previously recommended, which was in no way enforced, to wear masks uh, only when they were indoors in a public space and within six feet of someone from outside of their home, now they are not required to. Uh, or I guess recommended, because again, it was never required, it was never enforced, Um, where there were unenforced limits on gatherings of 15 people indoors and 30 outdoors, now there are not. Uh, However, it's all going to be okay, because the proclamation says that those who are not at substantial risks should limit their interactions with those more susceptible to the virus. Um which is saying the exact opposite of what it is, right? It's saying people who aren't at risk should limit their interactions with those who are. Well, people who are susceptible and high risk still have to go into public. We're certainly not telling people who aren't at risk to not go into public, are we? So really what we're saying is, hey, everyone who's healthy and not at risk, why don't you go get back to your regular life and everyone who is at risk continue taking this seriously and hiding and sheltering in your home like you have been uh, because we're not going to keep doing anything about it. Um, And again, this is just four days after the Iowa Department of Public Health received three confirmed cases of the UK variant in Iowa. And this is while the Iowa Department of Public Health probably for the reason I just mentioned, is still recommending mask wearing and social distancing. Again, this proclamation just dropped at about 10.30 p.m. last night. Um, we, we have relatively little information on it um, other than the text itself. Um, so I will follow that situation um, and try to get someone on this week to talk about it. 
Um, but as I mentioned in the opening of the episode, um, I did chat uh, with Democratic Minority Whip Jennifer Confirst on Friday afternoon. Um, it, it really, it really is crazy how much can change between 5:30 p.m. on Friday and 8 a.m. on uh, Saturday morning. But I think there was um, really a lot of great stuff in this talk, um, so we're going to jump into that. And uh, as I said earlier, we really hit on some of the GOP priorities early on in this legislative session. Um, including their education and safety agendas, which obviously, you know, that proclamation came out after this conversation. So keep that in mind. Um, so, you know, this is this is a conversation based on what our world was as of 5 p.m. yesterday. Um, again, thank you so much for hopping on. Um, the first thing that I did want to chat about, I think, um, just procedurally to get through it. Um, would love to just chat about um, anything that happened this week in terms of legislative proceedings um, that went on this week. Um, anything big that happened, it doesn't seem like anything's moved super far this week, um, but what are kind of some of the bigger movements on bills that we saw? Well, this week we had some uh, relatively non-controversial bills um, go through the actual floor of the Iowa House. One that that was that, that all House Democrats did vote against was a bill that would eliminate um, voluntary diversity plans in school districts around the state. So those relate to open enrollment opportunities for families, and uh, they help districts keep districts or keep their own district with a good uh, balance of socioeconomic diversity to make sure that um, you know, like our kids are going to school with people that they'll grow up with and that they'll live with, and and to make sure that our districts are are maintain strength. And so. Um, those those were eliminated uh, thanks to this legislation um, that passed on Tuesday night. Um, but that was the biggest thing. We had floor debate scheduled for Thursday, but um, it was canceled. And so uh, we have a lot of bills that are on the plate for Monday, but nothing um, nothing real big on the floor this week. Uh, just a lot of things, you know, bubbling under the surface. The only other thing would be that uh, Representative Bethel we- Beth Wessel Grishel was heading to the floor to speak this week on a bill and uh, wore jeans to the Iowa Capitol and wore jeans to the State House. And as you may know, um, there is a, a rule in the Iowa House of Representatives that says you can't wear denim on the floor of the Iowa House if you're a member. And so when it became time for her to be recognized by Speaker Grassley, he informed her that she had violated the House rule that prohibits denim on the floor and that she would not be recognized to speak, something she was grateful to find out because it meant that rules can be enforced on the house and made us all wonder if you can wear if you can be enforced to not wear jeans on the floor of the Iowa House, why can't they enforce a mask mandate on the Iowa House? Because the speaker continually says, we can't enforce a mask mandate. There's no way to do one. So gosh, sorry, I can't do one. But they sure can enforce a denim man, a denim ban. So yeah, I mean it's it's obviously just so un unjustifiably absurd. Um, and, and I mean, the, the discourse is just obviously completely lacking, um, especially, you know, publicly. And I guess I'm just wondering from your perspective, is this just like, is this just playing to the base, just like keeping the base hyped up on the right by by doing the, like, I mean, it would, it would just be so easy to put safety protocols in place at the Capitol that were meaningful and kept people safe. And we're actively choosing to not do that um, in, a, in, an, in a ludicrously hypocritical way. So, I mean, I, from your experience, what you hear, your interactions um, in the building and, and just in your committees and things like that, um, like what what is this all about ultimately? Gosh, you know, I don't know. I'd, I'd sure hate to think it was um, that you know, anybody was playing politics to the base with regard to public health. And, and so I'm going to assume the best in people. Right. And so 
Um, I don't know if it's if it's just a desire to move on from the pandemic, if it's part of a bigger strategy that, you know, if we pretend the pandemic isn't happening, maybe we can move on from a failed response to the pandemic. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what it's about. I do know that many of my colleagues wear masks um, on the floor, at least. They don't often wear them in committee meetings or in subcommittee meetings or when they're walking around, but they do wear them on the floor despite a lack of a mandate. And so, you know, I, I get that. I think it's great. Um, I just sure think that it would be, it would really demonstrate good leadership if we as legislators could demonstrate that this is a common sense public safety measure that everyone can do. It really, it doesn't cost anything. It doesn't hurt anything. So what is the harm from demonstrating good leadership and having us all be required to wear a mask? It's simply common sense. And I don't know the rationale. I don't want to imply a motive here. Um, I just know that it does seem that in many ways, the House leadership on the Republican side seems to want to move on from the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, that includes the protocols they've listed, they've placed on the House floor or rather lack thereof. Right. And, you know, I mean, even giving them the benefit of the doubt on intentions, just looking at the consequences that are happening. I mean, um, you know, we had a handful of members that had to go into quarantine or tested positive for COVID um, over the last, um, you know, 10 days or so. Um, so, I mean, do you think there's any chance that things get adjusted and that, um, you know, there, there's any possibility of that becoming a safer environment throughout this legislative session? I don't know. You know, I continue to hope so. Uh, Leader Pritchard sent another letter to Speaker Grassley asking him to please, please reconsider um, his refusal to issue a mask mandate and his refusal to let us meet virtual committees and subcommittees, asking him to do that for the safety of all members, not just members. I mean, fine. You know, we're up there. We we kind of signed up to do this job. We didn't really sign up to go up and live in a or work in a Petri dish, but we did sign up to do this job. But what about members of the general public who aren't safe? And what about the staff? who make their living up there and they don't have a choice but to come there, the media, all those folks. So he he sent another letter asking Speaker Grassley to do so. You know, clearly this is this problem is getting worse. Uh, cases are, you know, becoming reported more regularly. And that's just the reported cases. We don't know about unreported cases because there is no required protocol for reporting a case. And so we don't know, even know who really has it. Um, and so it would just seem to me that I guess that what I would say is we're not ready to give up asking. Um, we're not going to stop asking because uh, as the situation evolves, we sure do hope someone can see the light of day and, and make a decision that makes some sense. Especially when you consider that you're not allowed to vote remotely. Right. Right. I mean, it. it is, it, it just, it, it defies logic. I, I don't understand it. I've not heard a reason, you know, even if, if it's security is the reason. Well, we found a way to let people vote securely over the legislative council, Right. I mean, we're not even asking to vote on the floor virtually. We're asking if we could vote in committee virtually and participate that way. I mean, we have people, it's not just people who are positive. It's people who have pre-existing health conditions. You know, it's it's people who just don't feel safe up there. And it's frankly, incredibly disrespectful to create an environment in which your colleagues were, were who we're supposed to respect across the aisle, everyone in that room, we respect as colleagues to presume that because you don't believe that a pandemic is serious enough or because you don't believe these protocols are necessary, you're taking away another member's right to participate. And that's simply not okay. I mean, yeah, ultimately, that's that's how I, I mean, just from an outsider's perspective, you know, I, if it were a different situation, I would be going up to the Capitol to do this podcast and doing yes. in-person interviews with people. Um, but like, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Because, um, again, like, 
I think you're right. It's just like, what, what is the defense? I, I, I struggle to even find some type of a rational defense of it. To be honest, it, it feels more like a middle finger to everybody that is taking the pandemic seriously still, um, you know, a year into it. And, uh, you know, that number obviously seems to be dwelling by the day here in Iowa because, right. again, the leadership has done just absolutely nothing. Um, it's just incredibly frustrating. Yeah. yeah. It, every day is frustrating. Yeah. Um, but let's move. Let's move. Well, let's kind of stay on the topic, but uh, but change gears um, because uh, before we before we started recording, we were chatting a little bit about um, the the House bill um, from Representative Jeff Shipley, uh, which uh, you were you were explaining a little bit is is basically going to be a PR campaign um, to encourage people to take vitamins. Is is that correct? Yeah. Run us through that. Yeah. You know, I was really excited because um, we've been waiting. I, Iowa Democrats have a full COVID package that we've, you know, we've proposed that includes everything from help for small businesses to, um, you know, helping teachers get vaccinated, lots and lots of things um, that we know our constituents want. And we've been a little frustrated because we haven't seen really anything about how to end or hasten the end of the COVID pandemic from um, our House Republican colleagues. Not one thing. The only thing we've seen related to COVID has been to force um, all districts to go back to school 100% in person before teachers are vaccinated. So, you know, when I saw that there was a bill from the Republican caucus that, it, you know, addressed COVID, I was pretty excited to see what it was. When I saw it was from Representative Jeff Shipley, I thought, okay, um, let's see what this is. And it is a bill that allocates $7 million to um, a campaign to raise awareness about vitamins and minerals, particularly vitamin D, as a way to prevent COVID. And I think that vitamin D is great. I think it's perfectly fine. And yes, there have been studies that show vitamin D can help. I do not, however, think that that's probably what most Iowans have in mind when they when they want the legislature to do something about COVID. It, and <laughs> this is it's uh, it's ridiculously absurd to me the the idea of citing studies that show that vitamin D or taking elderberry. That's another one of the ones that's been thrown around. Um, these things that can you know potentially assist your immune system to, to fight off COVID. It definitely, certainly, um, you know, reduce the symptoms that you would see. Um, but just the the disconnection between writing this legislation, putting forth a piece that, that cites science on how vitamins can help you, but then refusing to do a mask mandate when there's all these studies about how we can get transmission of COVID into the, you know, single digit percentages if both people are wearing a mask in any given situation. Yep. Yeah, you know, and it, and I like to, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek humorous to me that this is all we've seen so far. Like, so, so all I can presume is this is the House Republicans' COVID package is, you know, promoting vitamin D. It's not even giving it to anybody, just telling people about it for $7 million. But, um, you know, I like to joke about it, but frankly, it's concerning because it does reinforce this continued misinformation um, that's out there that, that speaks to so many of the things that we've seen in the past few years and even in the past past few months about just not telling people the truth. And um, it really just falls into that category again, telling people that, you know, if we raise awareness about vitamin D, that will solve the problem. And that's pretty frustrating when you've got people who are dying every day. Um, I think this bill was introduced either the day before or the week of the day that we passed 5,000 deaths in Iowa from COVID-19. And though this bill might be a little funny tongue in cheek to me and I like to poke at them and tell them that it's not really a COVID package. This pandemic is not funny and, and it needs much more serious treatment than it's getting. And it's, again, I go back to, it's just insulting 
not just to us, not just to people who want to come to the Capitol, but to all Iowans to see how much it's being ignored up at the Capitol. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's that's the the great point, right? I mean, we can we can sit here and look at this vitamins deal, which is worth a laugh because of how absolutely moronic it is in nature to to do nothing about the spread of a virus but spend seven million dollars on a pr campaign which by the way sounds like a pretty good deal for the comms team of the iowa gop um we're not going to do anything about the spread of the virus instead we're going to recommend some supplements um that you know supposedly will help according to a few studies that we saw um i mean it's just i i can't even believe that they would do something like that. But again, to your point, like there are real consequences to this. People are dying every single day in Iowa. We've, I mean, we've been at a critical capacity of ICU beds for months now. Um, and it's just, it's, it, you're right. I mean, it's disrespectful, not only to the other elected officials who maybe take some of this crap seriously, uh, but to all of the people of Iowa that this legislature is supposed to serve. And it's running around pumping a bunch of money into private schools um, and and doing absolutely nothing about a pandemic that's been ravaging the country for a year. Right. It's absolutely... I mean, if, if someone were to look back at the Iowa legislature, the first four weeks of the Iowa legislature, and look at our policies, look at the rules we passed, look at the bills we've passed, they would be hard-pressed to know that we were in the middle of a pandemic. There's just been nothing that we've done, either in terms of procedure or in terms of legislation, that has truly addressed this pandemic. We are in the middle of a global pandemic, and you can barely tell. Right. I mean, with the legislation that's being put forth, you would think that um, private we're just losing like private schools, right? Like, I mean, like that's. I mean, anytime I look up what's happening at the Capitol, or I talk to people at the Capitol, or I look at the page at the list of introduced legislation for the day, um, so much of it has to do with somehow getting more money into private schools. Like that's in in the midst of all of this with the things we had talked about earlier, people dying every single day in this state. And we're worried about like our, literally the top priority has seemed to have been private schools so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, there is a big push um, right now toward uh, there's a bill that passed the Senate that, you know, has been broken up a little bit and now it's coming over to the house, but um, it essentially creates what are called educational savings accounts. And they uh, do allow families to take taxpayer dollars and take that money and put it toward um, uh, private school tuition. And so that's taxpayer money going to private schools when we're, we have schools that are, <laughs> that are struggling, that have gone above and beyond. Um, our public schools have in the last year trying to work double duty and trying to create environments that are great for kids to continue to learn in the middle of horrible, horrible conditions. Um, Nobody wants their kids to learn the way we've been learning over the past year, but uh, our schools have really made it work. And to to thank them for their hard work by cutting funding that will help kids, all kids, um, while funneling taxpayer dollars to private schools is, again, pretty insulting and pretty short-sighted. And it's one of the things that's just, it's just, we, we knew it would probably come now that it's here, it frustrates me even more. You know, I have a lot of public, private school parents in my district who have reached out to me. Some of them want me to support this. Um, I understand that. And others say, other private school fa- parents have told me, please don't because we chose to send our kid to private school. Um, and part of that was because it has different regulations and requirements than public schools. And um, if public money starts to go, we're afraid that those regulations and requirements will come to us, like not being able to talk about religion, things like that. 
um, for families who have chosen that. Now, what I say is that, you know, school choice is really up to the schools to choose their students. Um, they get to choose who comes, they get to choose who doesn't come. So I heard from a, a mom whose daughter was diagnosed with dyslexia at her private school and was told she, that little girl wasn't welcome back the next year because they didn't have the resources for her. So what good does it do in that instance, right? That student doesn't get to go. As soon as private schools have to accept every kid, just like public schools do, as soon as private schools have to follow the same transparency and accountability guidelines, let's have a conversation. But until those things happen and our public schools are fully funded, this is a non-starter for me and for House Democrats. Dollars that are, that taxpayer, taxpayer dollars go to public schools, that is the way it works. A savings account, which is what they call it, is money that a parent puts into an account and then takes that money out to spend it on what they'd like. This is not a savings account. This is taxpayer dollars, all of our money, going into an account that then they would take and take to a private school where we would not get accountability, where the child might not have even guaranteed entry. It's just a it's just a cynical ploy. They're using the pandemic as an excuse to starve public schools. And it's also not popular policy. I mean, even amongst like most conservatives, a lot of people go to public school and even a lot of people, you know, like that family that you had mentioned who are raised in the private school system or send their kid to the private school system. These are not people who think that public school is completely useless and deserves to be cut of funding for, like you said, for most of the, the cases, people have a, I mean, more often than not in the United States, uh, a religious reason to send a kid to private school. Um, and yeah, it's just it's fascinating. Um, and and we were we were also chatting about this a little bit earlier. But um, would it be dramatic to say that most of this legislation seems to be targeted directly at? And I I don't want to rural urban this, but either very dense public schools um, in urban areas, as well as even just um, rural school districts that simply don't agree with what seems to be the COVID agenda of the Iowa GOP leadership. Sure. You know, that's an interesting point because they, um, a lot of folks say that kids want private or families want private schools for their kids because they want smaller schools. They want different environments. But what they're not saying is that this could starve and decimate rural schools. This could hurt communities across the state. This is bad for rural Iowa because those schools, the money that comes out of them goes to families going to private schools and there's nobody there to refill, right? There's nobody there to continue to fund the school. And if a if a private school comes to town, that public school gets dried up. And as we all know, schools are the center of gravity in our communities. And and if those get taken away, it just could decimate rural communities. The two tiers, I think, of counties in Southern Iowa, there's not one private school, or at least that, that might not be exactly right, but Southern Iowa has very few private schools. And there are rural legislators who have spoken out, rural house members, Republicans, who have said they don't support this measure because it's not good for rural schools. So the irony here is not lost on anyone, right? The fact that they seem to have this vendetta against some big, big public school districts in the state, by doing this, they're actually also hurting rural districts. Well, right, because when when you're increasing option for people to change schools and you're, you're talking about someone moving from the public system to the private system, we're not talking about some cute student exchange program where the private school sends a family back to the public school in exchange. Um, this is just a, a drain from public schools. Um, obviously, a ton of the funding is based off of 
the, the population of the school and how many students attend. Um, so, I mean, it, it seems pretty obvious to me to see the linear progression of allowing this to happen. And, you know, maybe maybe it's 5, 10, 15, 20 years, um, but you can see this easily leading to uh, an environment, an education environment in Iowa where our public schools are just absolutely struggling and, and on their last limb. Well, sure. Plus the fact that, you know, you've got um, districts and students who, uh, who might not be able to go or there's nothing that guarantees what the tuition will be. So, you know, right now, if every student gets a $5,000 scholarship to go to a private school and everybody wants to go to private school, well, then first of all, all that you've liked about your private school, a lot of it's gone. Second of all, what's to stop them from raising the tuition to $10,000, which then makes it, <laughs> makes it so that it's unaffordable again. You right. know, they like to say, this is going to help every kid, regardless of income, regardless of zip code, attend a private school if they want to. Well, there's nothing that guarantees that these districts and these schools aren't going to raise their tuition and make it unaffordable again. I mean, there's just absolutely no no gates in here to, to make any of that happen. Yeah. It's really just a false, it's a false promise. It's a cynical ploy to um, to attack public schools. And I, what, what I really hate about it is that it, it positions it all as parent choice. And of course, parents want to have a choice for where they send their kids to school. We all make a choice when we decide where we're going to live, when we decide um, what we're going to, you know, where we're going to have our families, where we're going to work. Um, and sometimes we don't have the choice to move out of a district or a community. And so instead of starving that district, why don't we continue to fund that school to make the schools we have better? I'm not ready to give up on public schools. Yeah. And, that's, and I think that's what this voucher system is doing. Yeah. And I think that's a, actually a really interesting point um, that you brought up about, um, you know, what's to stop this private school from jacking up the price so that, um, you know, this this scholarship or whatever we're calling it, um, you know, just goes straight into their pockets, doesn't really make that big of a difference for the family. Like they're still going to have increased costs. Um, when I was in, in undergrad, I, I spent a, a half a summer in New Zealand. Um, and one of I was just like studying politics, doing an internship over there. One of the things that um, somebody informed me of there was that uh, their government assists their college students with their rent. Uh, when they're full-time students, they they don't want you to work while you're a full-time student or at least not have to work full-time. So they help you with your rent. Well, um, a situation had happened where the rent had been going up after the price or after this program was incentivized. Um, and then so they increased the money going into the program to help people pay the rent that had the rent costs that had gone up, um, but they didn't regulate the rent costs. So then immediately the landlords jumped the rent prices, the exact money yep. that they had jumped up the, the additional assistance for rent. Um, so of course they did. Right. <laughs> and, and that's what happens when, you know, you're allowing public entity or private entities to benefit from taxpayer dollars in this way. Um, you're, there's just no regulation. There's nothing to stop them from doing exactly that. Yeah. Um, and one other thing that I wanted to uh, just chat with you a little bit about was um, you had mentioned this good behavior bonus in the in the school funding bill, um, and I, I just thought that would be um, kind of a good place to leave off this conversation. So um, why don't you run us through that briefly? Yeah, look, every year, you know, the Iowa legislature needs to provide aid to public schools. It's one of the first things we're supposed to do. We're just getting to it. And in the Iowa Senate, the education bill, um, the fun school funding bill has come through, and it includes a $65 per pupil, quote, good behavior bonus for districts who follow the governor's protocols and um, did what the governor wanted during the COVID pandemic. Um, there is only one district that would not qualify for that good behavior bonus, and that would be uh, Des Moines Public Schools, where there are 30,000 children. And that district is held out um, and exempted from this bonus because they got in a 
fudder about whether or not to go back to school in person. And it seems to me, and lots of others, as someone who represents Des Moines Public Schools and is someone who sent her children to Des Moines Public Schools and who knows teachers and people who work very hard in the district, um, it seems to me that that's punishing kids. Um, you know, you can be mad at the superintendent all you want. You can be mad at the decisions the school board made all you want, but don't take money away from kids. Uh, this is just, I mean, it is, it is unconscionable. It is cynical. It is shameless. And you can be mad at a district, but this is literally taking money away from kids who can get help in their school. And it's just absolutely ridiculous. So I'm hoping it doesn't see the light of day. I'm hoping it dies. Um, but if it doesn't, I'm going to fight like hell to make sure that it does. And we're not going to let anyone forget that they did this because there are 30,000 children in Des Moines schools who just got essentially a middle finger put up at them because they went to a school that happened to disagree with the governor. Um, right. It doesn't seem right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a sick game. And, and you're talking about, again, pulling, pulling funding from uh, an institution that serves children, <laughs> a group of people who, aside from, you know, being developing into the future of our country, um, are also people who don't have a political say. Uh, you, as a five-year-old in the Des Moines public school system, absolutely have no political say or voice uh, over, you know, some some person from, you know, the Republican Party during this administration just putting forth some bill to remove a bunch of the funding because they have a petty personal disagreement with one of your administrators. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, pretty frustrating. And you do, you know, it does just remind you of the voiceless nature of, of not just kids, but especially kids in a high need school district, you know, uh, who are, school is a safe haven for them. School is a great place for them. Uh, they don't even know what's happening, but to, to know that, that these, that they would get less money because of decisions that the superintendent and school board made is, uh, I mean, it's, it's something else. It, I've seen a lot of crazy stuff this year, and this is the one that's one of the most infuriating. Yeah, and I mean, all the, all the, you know, we've we've been kind of hitting on it and beating around the bush, but like all of the attacks on on these metro schools and these high density, high need schools, it's racist. I mean, these are the the few places in Iowa where the diversity is there, and these are the schools that have the highest diversity standards, um, and these are the schools that you know, co it's not a coincidence that they're the ones having their funding um, threatened. So. Um, yeah. So here's what I'm going to say to that, Josh. Yeah. I'm going to say that I'm going to hope it isn't. Right. Right. I'm going to I'm going to presume that it is not. I'm going to presume that it is simply folks who don't understand and who want to punish the district, um, and hope that it's not. You can say that. I'm not going to say that because uh, <laughs> yes. I want. It's my show. Them to I will better. say that. I will not project that <laughs> upon you. Um, I'm just saying, hardly seems like a coincidence. Um, and it's and it's quite frankly heartbreaking to see and and ultimately bad for the future of the state really. Um, and, and the future of the kids that, you know, like you mentioned, are, are in those schools and rely on that funding and, um, you know, that those places can be a safe space for them throughout the day um, and, and, a, and a place to, you know, have a stable, a stable childhood. Um, so, uh, yeah, again, what I'm sure people will be pushing back. It seems like there's a lot of uh, public outcry um, coming out against the voucher bill. I've been seeing a bunch of people, weirdly enough, put filters on their social media profile photos um, with the no school, no private school vouchers. So, um, yeah. It seems like headway is being made, and um, you know, I'm sure people will keep up the fight and and keep pushing back on that stuff. What I'll tell you quickly is every day that this is that vouchers are not debated on the floor of Iowa House is a victory. When it comes up to the Iowa House, that means they have the votes. So we are happy every day that passes that um, the gavel falls, and we've not talked about school vouchers in the Iowa House. That's a good day. That's a win. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, one more week with that win, and and hopefully we continue to see that. Um, 
Amazing. Well, I appreciate you cutting out some time and jumping on today. Um, great chatting with you and, um, you know, best of luck, stay safe up there at the Capitol and, um, and, you know, let us know if there's uh, anything that people need to be paying attention to. Always. Thanks so much, Josh. Be well. Thank you. You too. And that is all we have today. I will be back on Tuesday with an update. Um, and uh, I'm back into my Twitter now. Oh my gosh, I forgot to mention that in the opening, but I'm back into my Twitter. Um, so I'm going to start dropping um, the the special episodes on Thursdays. So um, we'll have the first one of those on Thursday. Um, and that will be, again, the conversation um, with Des Moines Black Liberation activist Jalen Cavill. Um, going to be a great episode. I think that's going to be a three-parter because um, we did chat for a really long time. Um, and I don't want to put hour-long episodes on here. So um, look forward to that. Very excited. Um, as always, The Daily Dome is part of the Potluck Media Network, a project of Progress Iowa. We would not be possible without pro- without grassroots supporters like you. Visit potluck.fm and progressiowa.org for more info. Follow Potluck Media at potluckfm pretty much everywhere. Let me know what you want to hear about or who you want to hear from, please. Uh, follow me on Twitter, which I can now see at josh underscore cook underscore uh rate the show share it with people and send me your thoughts uh we'd love to hear from you thanks and we will be back on tuesday